Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Ganinen. I want to first off thank everybody for playing the higher or lower game on the Wrenchway app. If you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you go out there, complete the challenges, get points, play the games for your chance to uh, win some fairly significant money. The winner for last week was Quentin Law. He had a high score of 31. Congratulations, Quentin. I hope you get some joy and some usage out of that $100. Unfortunately, he did not flip over the Queen of Hearts in the Queen of Hearts game, so the pot increases to $700. As a reminder, we've got our second annual Tech Mission event coming up. Tech Mission is a two-day virtual event that brings together technicians, shop owners, managers, and schools. This year, we're talking about why technicians are leaving the industry, what schools can do to better prepare technicians for the industry, and what shops can do to keep technicians in the industry. It's completely free to attend, but you must register. Even if you can't attend live, register anyway, and we'll email the recordings to you after the event. You can register by going to wrenchway.com, check out the events link, and find Tech Mission under that for to register and learn more about Tech Mission 2021. As for this week's episode, one that I'm very excited to do, somebody that I know really, really well, and it, somebody that's a big part of our team, that is Kate Bierowski, who is our Director of Sales here at Wrenchway. And we're going to talk about a few different things, but primarily talking about the differences between good shops and bad shops, and really hopefully get an understanding of what the good shops look like and maybe what the the not-so-good shops can do to improve their offering to make sure they're competitive amongst this crazy, crazy technician market. So welcome to the show, Kate. How are you doing today? Hey, Jay. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to have you on. It's uh, You've got a really cool story and uh, a really, really great following now through social media, LinkedIn specifically. But I think it's going to be a unique conversation that you've seen a lot of different shops and, and how they operate. And before we get to that, I do want to talk about your your background, right? Because I think something that maybe gets uh, a little bit overshadowed is is how you got to this point and some of the work you had put to get to this point. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got to uh, join us here at uh, Wrenchway and Finder Wrench? Absolutely. So I actually came from the diesel side of the business. So I actually spent the first part of my career working for Schneider National. And I started out as an entry level salesperson, cold calling, talking to different customers, moving freight across the country. And little did I know, I learned a lot about the the repair side of the business and having trucks break down, not having enough technicians to be able to fix it. And that was one problem I had to deal with. And now I am here. I've come to find a wrench and wrench way already three years, three years now, which is crazy. crazy. I've been working with Jay for three years now, but now I'm on the other side of the industry, trying to find technicians to keep the industry moving. So it's kind of cool how it's come full circle and just been working here for this long already. It seems like a lifetime <laughs> though. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, kudos to you. And I, I'll, I'll ask you, do you remember how, how we got connected in the first place? 
Yeah, it's all about who you know. So I actually met Jay on a wedding trolley. Uh, (laughs) Jay's cousin was getting married and I had no idea. I knew Jay had um, met or I knew Jay had worked for Bobcat and later then started his own business. And it actually ended up being my college that he's cousins with. But I connected with Jay asking, Hey, I heard you own a company and I want to, I want to move. And it's really all about who, you know, and I was absolutely intrigued by their company. And Jay and I met at a coffee shop on like the, on black Friday, I think it was, (laughs) it was right after Thanksgiving. So. Yeah, I, I, it was an interesting conversation in that we weren't really looking for a a director of sales at that point. And I, I had been leading the way on the sales side, but wasn't all that great on the process side. And something that I've talked about in a lot of the content that we've done is trying to hire into your weaknesses. And that was one of my weaknesses was process, right? And being able to to kind of lay out a good plan and execute on that plan. And so bringing Kate in was really a, a, a big win for us as a company because it did bring a different skill set and something where she had she had worked for a big company, right? Working for Schneider National, that's a that's a very large company. So having experience, you had a lot of training experience prior to this. You had a lot of sales experience, a lot of things that just really kind of fit in well with with what we were doing here, and and ultimately fitting into the culture. We talk about culture all the time. We I feel like have a very unique culture here, and we've grown a lot since you started. But I, I, that was one of the things when you first started that I thought was going to be the most intriguing piece was like, okay, how's Kate going to fit in with our culture? Because we, we do have kind of a laid back fun environment. And I think it was something that maybe took you a couple of weeks to get used to, but you, you really kind of bought in and have been a big part of it ever since. Well, Jay, you're kind of, you're um, painting a picture of me that I am I'm very set in my ways and process driven. <laughs> I can have fun, but there was a very large difference between going from a $5 billion company where you can't just change. You can't just flip the light switch and say, we want to do this, this, and this. And my decisions made such an impact that find a wrench. And I think one of the biggest changes is the decisions I made obviously impacted the employees we had here, but it was change we can adjust to immediately. And we didn't have to wait. We didn't have red tape. We didn't have to go through it. And if our customers had a need, our customers brought something else up to us, we're able to adjust to it. And I think that is the big thing. And that's what I see with even the shop owners today is they can adjust, they can make those decisions and really just move to run their business the best way for them. And I think that's what I've seen in a lot of the good shops, which I know tailors imperfect to what our conversation is, but it's, it's cool to see how a, a small shop to let alone a huge dealership, but how their decisions impact the industry and the mechanics and the shortage we have that there's so much little things we can all do to help this overarching problem we all have. Yeah, and I think that's one of the really cool pieces about what you've been able to see over your time here is really our, you know, the diversity in our customer base. And when I say that, we are in automotive, we're in trucking and heavy duty, we're in fleets. You know, it's it's kind of every size, shape, color of of service department that you could imagine, right? And I I think mm-hmm. knowing that there's a lot of differences between those, but really at the core of it, they're pretty similar, aren't they? 
Absolutely. I think I, I think you had asked me a long time ago, like, what's the difference between the service department at a heavy manufacturer versus my dad's shop? And really, the core of it is the same. They all run in. A lot of them are good because of the same reasons. And a lot of them struggle because of the same problems that they have. And I think that's the important thing is that what the whole topic we're talking about today applies to the two-man crew, to the a very large dealership group. All of them have the same problem as attracting technicians. And all of the basis are really the same. And I'll ask you this because I think it's always interesting. When you came into to our business, did you fully grasp the the hurt that was out there, the need for more technicians or the need for shops to be able to find technicians? Not at all. I, I came from my mind of, we need more drivers, we need more drivers. And that's absolutely true. But in my mind, that was the most hurting of industries out there is that there's not enough truck drivers. And coming to Wrenchway, I knew there was a problem. But it's not just our industry either. I mean, it's, it's all of the trades. And I think that was the biggest thing for me was, holy cow, my mind, my mind was honestly blown by the gap that has been created from the education standpoint of, I was told I had no choice, but to go to a four-year school or you were kind of forgotten about, like, there's just such an overarching problem, but I'm amazed this industry just the the amount of mechanics we don't have enough of and how much that impacts our business or everybody, everybody's daily life, how much it impacts it. And it, it's a lot bigger than what I ever imagined. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's something that's probably given you a lot of perspective too. And, and knowing how bad the shortage is on the backside and how hard we work for our, our clients to be able to, to help them find people is, is really hard hard to do. And I think that's where the importance of this podcast today comes from in that we do see differences in shops. We see, you know, everything from the smallest mom and pop to the biggest companies in the world in, in that we're working with them. And I think there's maybe a perception that these small companies aren't, you know, like can't deliver the same experience as a big company or a big company isn't as flexible as a small company. But as we see these companies and how unique each of them are in the different cultures they have, you know, we talked about culture within Wrenchway before and, and how we like to have our culture. We're very, you know, I think passionate about that side. But when you look at the differences between them and how short we are in technicians. I mean, it's it's a straight up math problem, right? There's just not even close to enough people to fill all these roles. But when you see the differences, are there advantages that some shops have over others? And when I say that, I guess I would I'll take that a step further. What are those things? What are those those variants that make one shop more appealing to a tech than another? So. So coming from a perspective, and I just want to lay this out. I've never been a technician. So I've never been in the Bay. I've never been wrenching. My mechanical experience comes from helping my dad fix our old cars growing up. And I had tiny little hands. It worked great. But I've never been an actual technician. But the thing that I, the biggest perspective I think of is, yes, big companies have great opportunities. And there's a lot of good things. I loved where I worked before. And I left a very large company for a very, very small company. And each one has its advantages. And 
I, I would say both have pluses and minuses and they're varying on every level. I think of that from a shop perspective of I've worked with the largest dealership groups in the country and I've worked with mom and pop shops. I think that there's great things about both. And I think both need areas to work on. And I think that's what we can go through. But a lot of it all has the same basis of, are you a good person? Are you a good employer? Do you care about your people? That's going to be the basis of everything. And a lot of it does go back to culture. I did come from a great culture, but I would choose Wrenchway's culture any day. Just the laid back, the just the impact that I can make daily on my team's life to my customers' lives. Those are the things that keep employees going. And I think it applies to automotive, to diesel, to heavy heavy um, duty equipment, to fleets. It applies to everybody, to collision. And I think that's really the basis of it is about how you run and how you're a leader in the industry. Well, and one thing that I love that you just said there is purpose, right? And I think when it comes down to it, regardless of size of company that you are, the people in your on your team need to have that purpose. They need to have, you know, the reason that they come to work every day. And I think we, a lot of times, and that's not just our industry, I think it's any industry, rely far too much on a paycheck to tell that. But I think it goes beyond that. And, it, you know, I, I, I'm very proud of the culture that we've built here and the people and the team and how strong our team is. I talk about that a lot and it's not BS, right? Like I, I, I truly, mm-hmm. you know, I look at, I look at each of you with respect and, and really an understanding that you've got different talents than I do. And I think that's the, the best reflection of a leader that you can have is that you have, you know, we've got a number of really, really talented people. And, you know, my philosophy always was going into this, that if we found a talented person, we'd bring them on regardless and and really trying to make sure that, you know, we weren't, we weren't closing the door on somebody that was really talented and coming in. So I guess I would ask you that same question because I don't want to speak for you, but when, when we talk about culture and and maybe the differences between a big shop, a little shop, whatever it is, you know, how important is that purpose and and maybe the culture to drive that purpose? So I think this is one of the most underestimated things in a shop. One, there's a few of them, but this has to be one of the biggest ones because talking to technicians, they care about the work that they're doing. They, at Sorry, I'm losing my words, but no, you're good. They want to be recognized for the work that they're doing. And I think the traditional industry is very much they want to come in, turn wrenches and go home. And it's almost mindless. It's not like that. They might, they may have done something cool, something they've never learned before. The cars are getting more and more advanced. And if they did something good or they they build more hours than they ever have before, and they're proud of the work they're doing. They might not want to be called out in front of the team, but they want a good job. They want to be recognized for the work that they're doing and they want a winning culture. They don't want to just, they don't want to go unnoticed. I mean, and everybody wants to be recognized differently, but I think that's part of the piece that like having that winning culture is a big piece in that positive attitude. And Jay, you've heard me say this before, but you can have one person ruin a culture. hundred percent, it can I, I, I called it like cancer. It can spread between teammates. It can spread 
to really ruin it. And I think that's actually one thing I did take some notes before we chatted that you have to, you have to look at that when you're bringing on someone, I don't, I don't want you to say be overly picky about skill set. I, you need to be overly picky about the person you're bringing into your culture and are they going to fit? They might not check every single box from this, the skill standpoint, but if they're a good person, they want to learn, they want to grow. That is more important than do they know how to do X, Y, and Z, or are they missing one test to get a ASC certification or whatever it is. Again, not always my, that's not my expertise, but bringing on the right person. I think we've done a A plus job of bringing on the right people and having them learn the industry. I did not come from the automotive background, but I've learned it. I've talked to shops. I've learned how, how they run successful shops. And it's definitely the people versus the actual skill of the technician. How much can you tell when you're talking on the phone or like via zoom or whatever it is, the quality of the shop, like when you're talking to them, it like, so, you know, just an initial inter- interaction with somebody, are you able to kind of tell maybe where they fall in that scale? So I can probably tell a good shop within the first 30 seconds. And you're probably like, what? hundred percent. You can tell by the person answering with the phone, their morale, what they do when they put you on hold, who you're talking to, or in just their kindness, do they care? I, I honestly, I wrote down that, are they accommodating? That tells you a lot. Even if I'm calling to book my own oil change, I have to get my oil change just like everybody else. And no one's hooking me up with free ones just because I work with a lot of shops. They, you can tell 100% how this shop is run and are they proud to work there? And that's from an independent and a dealership. 100% you can tell within the first 30 seconds how the shop is run. Yeah, I... I 100% agree with you. And I think, you know, there's some some people that run really good businesses that might be a little bit more cold or not not as welcoming as they would be to their employees. So maybe we don't always see that, you know, that piece of it. But for the most part, I think you can kind of, you can isolate pretty quickly, which, you know, where they fall at on, on the the range of a good shop versus a bad shop. And we say bad shop very loosely because there's some shops that Mm -hmm. maybe haven't even had the time to get to that point of being a good shop yet, or maybe they are really good in in a certain function, but maybe that customer service side isn't one of them yet. Or, you know, I I think a big piece is for a a shop to just understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. Right. I like, it, mm-hmm. do they, you know, not everybody's going to be great at everything, but how important is that side of it in general of understanding where you're at as a shop? And so when I say that, you know, being realistic, being open to criticism, being open to having people kind of tear your, your stuff apart in order to make it better. And so that's one thing that I would say is how I can tell. So a lot of people come to us asking us for help. You would be amazed at how many times a day people Google, how can I hire mechanics or technicians? And they Google it a lot. Let me tell you all, it's it's a problem everybody has and that's okay. 
But when we're talking with it, Jay has always been very big on, we need to coach our clients. This is not their area. A lot of the small shop owners anyway, they went to school to be a technician, not to necessarily run a business. And recruiting is not not many people's favorite job in the world is finding technician. It is not my favorite job in the world. I'm on the sales side, but it has to be a part of your week. And a lot of it, we want to coach a lot of people on how to do it. What's the most effective way? How do you use your time the best way? And the openness of the service manager, the direct, the fixed ops director, the general manager, their openness also tells you a lot about, okay, they're open to feedback, they're open to change, and they're open to attracting technicians because that's that's my job. That is our account manager's job is to help point that out of, hey, there's a gap in your process. Hey, that you're not being seen or, hey, have you ever thought of it this way? Those are the things that can kind of tell Again, a good shop versus loosely using the word bad shop, but those things matter because generally what we've seen is those shops that aren't open to the coaching, aren't open to our ideas are the ones that are really difficult to recruit for. And I think that that speaks volumes of if technicians aren't willing to consider this place, maybe you need to change. And those are the conversations that are difficult, but being able to accept that criticism is absolutely huge. And that's huge for anybody in any industry or any job. I mean, Jay's job is to give me criticism on how I can get better and help. And I think that speaks volumes for the success of a shop and success of a recruiting program at any level. Yeah. And I, I, I'm curious as to if you've seen differences in recruiting success based on, somebody's buy-in up front, right? Like, so if if somebody's really skeptical up front versus, like with Wrenchway, for example, it's far more of a marketing piece and, and a tool to be able to help you, really hold you accountable, hold a shop accountable to, to getting their stuff done. Is there any difference between a shop that might sign up that's reluctant versus a shop that's like, all right, let's go. So I'm going to answer this question in two parts. So First of all, we sometimes have customers who think we have the magic bullet to be able to just, we have customers in our back pocket, lined up at our door, ready to start work. And that's just not the reality. And we do have to level set that and make them understand that recruiting is a process, finding technicians, finding that right fit does take time. But to answer your question about the customers that are really reluctant to something new, something to change. Their success does depend on their buy-in. I really do think that. And I think that's important to call out. And a lot of companies have to start somewhere. And we have been able, if you logically think about the experience from a technician from looking for a job and the experience from a customer having bad applications day in, day out, it makes sense that if a if an application is more intentional, that the results will be better. That if someone is seeing who they're going to be working for, they see that you're a good employer, that you have a great offering and that they're applying to you, the result is going to be better. You're going to have less ghosting from the application process. You're going to have more interest in your actual job. You'll have them actually show up to the interview and your hire is going to be better. That makes sense. So that's the piece that I always try to get across of the overall experience 
versus reading the basic job description. And I think that's important. But the biggest thing that we're trying to do is highlight the attributes about your shop. Every shop is different. I have never met a shop that is the same, even within the same company. As much as mining keys or Jiffy Lubes want that same experience, all of them are different because it has to do with the leadership. And technicians need to find not only the right shop, but the right leader, the manager, the culture, the team. And I think that's an important factor of this. And we do need that buy-in to be successful in recruiting for them. Yeah, and I, I, I you hit on a, a couple of key points there, one of which being that there isn't like a, a silver bullet for this thing. Like it's it's a simple math problem that there's not not enough people and it's it's not close. Like there it, there's a huge, huge gap there. But when we look at shops and I, I know we've got a specific example of this where we had a shop where they had issues with with a lot of technicians ghosting them, right? And I, this kind of goes back to more of the finder wrench days as much as anything. But one of the things that we noticed was that, you know, there's something weird about this. This this person's really nice. I, I don't see why anybody would ghost them. And do you remember why we found out once we started digging why technicians were ghosting that, that shop? And no one listening to the podcast can see me smiling, but I am <laughs> laughing. And location and the outside matters. And Jay, I don't know how much I'm allowed to share, but yeah, when you live in an area where there's homeless people, you have to step over them in the parking lot to get into your shop. You have to be proud of where you work, where you're walking into, going in day in, day out. And if you're nervous your first day of an interview, how are you going to do that for 15 years or five years even? I think that makes a big difference in just your overall surrounding. I know you can't pick up and move your shop, but location does matter. Just like in the housing market, you can't move your house. So you do want to take that into account, If especially if you're looking at expanding your shop, moving locations, all of that. You do have to take that into account to how are you going to attract the talent? So as much as our experience is very funny, um, very interesting on Google Maps to actually be in a car and looking around, those things matter when attracting a technician. And I will be honest, like this owner and this manager was fantastic. They were open to change, open-mindedness, and they gave us the feedback. They were responsive. That's my biggest thing. If a technician applies, you got to respond to them. And the person checked all the boxes. And unfortunately, I can't make a technician show up to the interview and your location does matter. So getting off topic a little bit, but I think that's a good example where we had a really good manager. I loved this person. I don't want to call them by name. I It was really hard to get them to make a hire, but they eventually um, did hire someone, which was great. So, Yeah. And I think the reason I bring that up is, is really there's some things that you can't control, but understanding that and being forward with maybe a technician as you're you're trying to court them is, is big. The other side to that that I see and we started this part of the conversation off by talking about a shop's like just willingness to cooperate with a with a partner or a vendor to try and make their lives easier. And I think going back and circling back to the good shop versus kind of the bad shop discussion, I think when I look at that, it, it's really easy to see a shop that is going to be good at doing their own recruiting. Uh, and 
when I say that, it probably isn't the only thing that they have good process in place for or they have good plan execution on. Uh, they they probably implement that throughout every part of their business. They're not just going to be super strong at this one area. If they're strong at process, they're going to be strong at a bunch of different things. But that's some of the stuff that I've seen myself is that there's shops in, in when we say good shop, bad shop. I think their intentionality and in how they go about it is big too, right? Like if, mm-hmm. they're, if they're planning, if they're proactive, um, if they're actually doing the things that they say they do, and how, how big is that piece? So you first started kind of that statement with like the vendor relationship part. And I want to go into that first. So sorry, I'm changing your topic, but I think You're that fine. makes a big I think that makes a big difference and I didn't want to lose my train of thought on it, but going into a vendor relationship or a partnership, I think can tell us a lot about how successful it's going to be. We are working for clients all day long. That is our job. And we have to make sure we're producing what we're selling, but it does have to do with a partnership and being open and honest with your vendor of what are we doing? And there's been experiences where I've worked with shops that are too humble. So I will say there are great shops out there and they, they are too humble about the company they've created. I mean, blood, sweat, and tears going to building a business. I've never seen Jay cry, but I'm sure there's been tears building a business, but I have felt that way of building a sales team and really believing in the company we're creating shops have that same feeling. And I think those are the things that are hidden. The shops that are sometimes challenging to work for is here's my problem, fix it. You're my vendor. And (laughs) those are the relationships that are hard because we don't have a magic bullet. I'm not interviewing your candidate. I'm not making you hire someone you don't want to, or I can't make a tech want to work for you. And that statement is hard to say. And I know it sounds harsh, But I can't make them quit their job, take less money, less benefits to maybe work at a better culture. I'm not really sure because you're kind of treating the vendor kind of funky. I'm not really (laughs) sure what that is. And I'm being blunt and honest, but I think that's what people need to hear. And it's important to have that relationship. And hiring is is personal. It's intimate. It's someone is joining your company and you should take that very personally. I mean, you're spending your hard-earned money and your your future, your customers on it. And that can't be my job. My job is to get your eyes on it. And I think that makes a big difference for hiring in general and that partnership and being intentional, which goes into your other question. But I think that makes a big difference. And that's how I can tell a really good shop that wants to partner versus my problem, come and fix it. So I I hope that isn't too brash for it, but I think that's something that I think needs to be taken noted. And we don't take our partnerships lately. My, I, 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 we're in it to win it. I'm in it to win it. So that's what I was going to say. And that's who the team we've built. And I think when we have customers with that same mentality of they want to win it, they want the best people, they want to attract them they're going to do it because again, that's, it all goes back to that winning culture. So that was kind of my side note to your initial question, but anything you want to add to that before I answer your other question? (laughs) No, go right ahead. I think that was, that was really good. Like, I, I think that's really a true, honest assessment of shops. And, you know, there's a quote that says how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I think that really applies to, 
how you're recruiting techs, how you're treating customers, how you're treating vendors, like how you're, you know, how you interact with other people. Because most likely if we have a really, really good experience with you on the vendor side, I think it gives us more confidence in the customer as a whole that maybe a technician that sees an ad in Wrenchway or sees, you know, sees their Wrenchway page or a job listing out there takes it a little bit more serious or we like, I think it gives us a little bit more pride in that person as well or in that shop because we're bought in. We, we feel that as well. And I, I don't just say that as a relation, as, as it relates to Wrenchway, but how that relates to any vendor you're dealing with. Like in honestly, if you're just fighting everybody, uh, that makes life really, really difficult. So <laughs> hopefully, well, hopefully that comes across uh, across clear. But I think I think there's a there's a lot of validity to that. Well, and I think it's funny that I have some customers who treat us as vendors, but they almost want to treat us like customers, and they they want to be they want to be our favorite customer because they know if they're our favorite customer, we're going to be able to talk more positively that we can really say, no, these guys are great. Go work for them. They treat us like Kings and Queens. Obviously they got to treat their own employees. I'm not even on their paid salary. I, that's where you can be on one, one side of the pendulum, or you can be on the other side of go, go do the job. I'm paying you to do it. And it's more of, I don't want to say always overcorrect and overswing that pendulum, but you know, when it's recruiting and finding technicians, it's probably not bad to be more on that, <laughs> the good side. But I think, I think that's important. And your initial question, I believe was more of for the clients or customers that have a good process in place. They're very intentional with their actions. Do they want to be successful? I think 100% it, I, I say it to my team all the time is be intentional with your actions. And we all have metrics we have to hit. I'm a salesperson. I'm numbers data driven. We're looking at spreadsheets all day long. If I'm intentional with my actions, it's going to get these results. It's not about just checking the box and getting it done. It's about actually making the progress. And I think every, every fixed ops director, every general manager, every shop owner has on their agenda hiring technicians somewhere on their list. And it's funny, I comment on this every Friday, the most meaningful conversations I have are on Fridays because what is left on their list is finding technicians and it's never going away. And I say that because you do need to be intentional, but you need to be intentional with recruiting all the time. You have to have recruiting gears on all the time. And it doesn't take that much time. It takes 15 minutes, 10 minutes a week to share a post, to uh, tell your employees to share this, to to responding to an application quickly, and again, being intentional. And those are the customers that do see success. And that has nothing to do with how they treat us as a vendor. Any any client, or not even a client, any person that is successful in recruiting is spending the time in just making little, little incremental time during the week. And that's, what's important is always having it on the forefront, not waiting till Friday afternoon to talk to Kate. So, yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a great point. Now let's, we're getting close to being up on our time here. What, what advice would you have for shops in general? And when I say that, like, just how, how do you maybe get some of those shops that are on the lower tier to, to make their way up? Or, you know, maybe just pointing out some of the stuff that really, really good shops do that they should keep doing. 
So one thing we've seen, and this is across the board from dealerships to shops, is there, there's a part of being proud that's important. Being too humble is an issue. You got to be able to kind of strut your stuff. But there, there's a pendulum again of being arrogant and um, going to call it what it is again. Jay, you caught me in a mood today. I don't know. But I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's important to say that the times have changed. This industry is very traditional and I, and I love it. I love tradition. I think there's, there's room for tradition and everything, but the times have changed where people aren't begging at your door for a job. And I think that's important to state that we need technicians. I don't think we need to overly cater to it, but if they're spending the time, they're truly interested in you you need to be appreciated of. You have to put away some of the arrogance of you're being the best and you're using my time. And it's very much, you want to talk through the technician and thank them for their time that they're considering making a move. Making a move is personable. It is It is hard to pick up and move your job. I cried my way out of my last job coming to find a wrench because it is a, it is a big move. And Finder Wrench was very sensitive to that, that it was a big step for me, but it was the right choice. But it is hard to let go of those things. And a technician is looking to better their career, better their job, and they're not getting something. Most of them are not moving for money. Money does speak, but it doesn't push them over for the deciding factor. Change is hard. And I think that's a big thing that I see a lot of is if I is shop owners, managers, whoever's making that hiring decision saying they should be honored to work for me. And really we need to change that of you should be honored to have a technician that wants to grow. They want to be better. They want to be in this industry because you will see that there are very, there are competing jobs out there um, for non-skilled trades to, to, to go out and make a good living at. And they could leave this industry. They are leaving this industry and we need to keep them in here. And that's my biggest message to any owner, shop owner out there. We need the technicians and you should be proud to have them working for you. And there are good technicians out there. And for the technicians out there that are frustrated, I'm going to say kind of my public service announcement. There really, really are good shop owners to work for. I literally, I'm looking at my notes from today and I I almost felt bad because my the shop owner was truly hurt that a technician quit and he loved the person, but they had, they're moving and he was truly hurt that one of his technicians was leaving. And he's like, I think I'm a good boss. I offer all this. And he was almost down on himself. He's like, I don't know what else more I can do. I'm like, you're doing it. These are, but people can't hear your story. And that's the important thing, but there really are good shops to work for. And I am here. I will tell you all the good ones I've talked to. So that's kind of my two cents about the industry and how to be a good manager is just be a good person. All really, really good advice and, and things that I think are, are pretty actionable, right? And I think there's, you can do your own research into, you know, leadership, management, that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to it, I think Kate hit it on the head there in that just being a good person helps you run a good business. And and I think that's where you, you gain loyalty and, and a following. And Kate, you, you do a great job with your leadership, with your team in within the confines of Wrenchway and Finder Wrench. And I appreciate you taking some time out of your day today to talk about 
something I think is really, really important. And that's kind of the difference in, in the quality of shops that we see out there. So thank you for being on and, and hopefully we get to do it again here sometime soon. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having having me. You get to talk to me all day. So thanks for getting to talk to me for another hour, but it was great. And I'm just, I'm excited to hear what people have to say about it. And I think when I say quote unquote bad shots, there are so many things you can do to be a good shot, but you have to kind of look in the mirror and reflect on that. And I mean, we need good shops. There are techs that want to work for good places and let's get them before they decide to leave the industry is my biggest thing. I mean, there are so many good shops and there's a lot of good technicians. So, Well, one last thing before we are done with the podcast, and that's a little quiz. Do you remember what state or what city that somebody thought you were from? Just for those of the listeners out there that <laughs> think that Kate might have an accent, I have an accent as well, a very Wisconsin accent, but we were out at a, we were out for a, a meeting somewhere and uh, there was an individual that said Kate sounded like she was from Fargo. <laughs> from North the, Dakota there. <laughs> from, North, from North Dakota and that that she reminded them uh, or reminded him of the people in the movie Fargo. So uh, that just uh, a, a Thank nice Thank you for embarrassing of- me, Jay. I absolutely appreciate it. Especially since you said, Kate, maybe you'll do another podcast with me. You're really making me want to. I think that might've been the, the trip that Jay was driving a Nissan Versa. It was oh, bright yeah. blue, yeah. beautiful. And yeah. maybe the day you walked into a glass wall, I'm not yeah. sure, but yeah. you know, if you're throwing shade, it's coming right back to you. But 100, 100% accurate. Walked into <laughs> a complete glass door at Hertz Rent-A-Car. We could do a whole, uh, whole special that part of it. So, but no, in all, in all honesty, (laughs) appreciate you being on and and taking the time to, to really kind of elaborate about some of the stuff that you've seen and just for all the hard work you do here at Wrenchway. I appreciate it. Right back at you, Jay. Thank you. 